Welcome to Callan Dave vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. Uh, I got nothing witty. I'm Dave. I'm just tired of this film. Yeah. And I'm the machine. He's Dave, and he thinks he's practically perfect. Is that a thing from the movie? Well, from Mary Poppins, she's practically perfect right. in every way. Come on, Dave. Jesus Christ. Sorry. It's from yeah, the original uh, film. It's like one of the most iconic moments from the original film. This movie has made me forget everything. Everything. <laughs> All right. Well, this is the podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. That year just so happens to be 2018. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the movie... Mary Poppins Returns. I honestly can't remember why we kept most of this stuff to begin with. Don't you remember that kite? We used to love flying that with mother and father. Those days are long behind me. That's why I live and breathe. Who came back? You seem hardly to have aged at all. Really? One never discusses a woman's age, Michael. Would have hoped I taught you better. Dave, you know, when people tune in to this very podcast they often are like oh my gosh, I cannot wait to talk about movie musicals with these I mean, two people. That's what we do. But that's they, what we're known for, yeah. That's what we do. They also tune in because of our far-reaching and well-orchestrated Far-reaching and well-orchestrated. Aren't those opposed, opposing uh, descriptors? Hey, sometimes we are beautiful, beautiful juxtapositions of opposite truths, just like Mary Poppins. All right. Dave, uh, people tune in for our deep and rich fiction that we provide here each and every week. To catch people up, we're... Yeah, catch me up. We've escaped this weird virtual reality world that we were finding ourselves in, only discovered that the world that we escaped out of, nope, the, the world we'd escaped into is even weirder than the one that we were in before. That being said, Dave, I, I just wanted to present you with this new plot wrinkle. Ready? <laughs> Love me a good wrinkle. I didn't have a return address, but I got this shipment in the mail here this week. Um, I've, already, I've already opened it, but look at this. It's basically... This huge bag, like a kind of a carpet bag, duffel bag thing. And look, I can like I can pull like, an entire lamp out of it. Like it's like essentially for, for people there who know D and D terminology, it's like a bag of holding that I was a sent bag here. Holding. Right. In the mail. Right. What should I pull out of this bag next, Dave? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, a deep and rich fiction. Oh, look at this! Look at this! This tome that I just pulled out of it here. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, let me big. flip. Through these author's notes, uh, you know, dedications, mm -hmm. blah, 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 prologue, don't care. Okay, so chapter one Kyle and Dave discover pre writing. So this will be interesting. <laughs> pre writing. I'm reading a book. I'm always reading too many books on an interesting way to view music history. And the chapter that's starting is, uh, well, the first chapter is about how. Nature is vibration and therefore song pre-exists humanity. Sure. But the next piece that I thought was interesting is that uh, all music is violence because all original instruments come from weapons of killing 
or from the bones of animals that we've consumed. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I would probably be fascinated by that book. I'm just going to say one thing because this will literally take us off course for like 30 minutes if we're not careful here. We don't have a course. I know. but We just meander around. History of music is actually super fascinating to me. A, because... I think I've even talked about it on this podcast before about if we were even just talking about like Mozart and Beethoven, like not super long ago, <laughs> musicians, like in the grand scheme of things, what we know as their compositions is probably not what they sounded like at the time mm. that they were performed sure. because the instruments they used were different and tuned differently. So we have just basically adapted them into modern orchestras. So that in and itself is fascinating. But I came across this video a couple of weeks ago that talked about how Western music, we'll just call it like the UK and, and North American stuff is based on like this 12 tone scale, et cetera, et cetera. All of Westernized music is based around this one concept. But if you go into India and to uh, the rest of Asia, they use a different set of mm-hmm. tones. Now I can't remember it. So they fit the same rules, but it sounds different because the way they think of tones is different. And it just totally blew my mind. Like, oh, that's so interesting. And on how well, this person broke it down and like how those yeah. tones are different is just, I can't explain it properly, but I just found it really interesting on how that was discovered. Just listen to any East Asian music prior K-pop. But they have half tones that we don't have. That we don't in. use. So, yeah. yeah. If you use like a like a trombone or a string instrument, you have access to every yeah. vibration, but not a piano, I suppose. Anyways, so I'm sure that will become important as we go along <laughs> in our discussion I mean, I, We are about to talk about a quote unquote musical. Yep. Strong um, okay, quotes. So, strong quotes. Yeah. I mean, they sing. This is going to be. I just want to preface this whole entire conversation. Just to get out in front of it, which is like, I'm yeah. probably going to ultimately agree with your position, yeah, but not yeah. how, but, fun, not so but disagree in another way. With you. Okay. Yeah. All right. That made absolutely no sense. What are you talking about? Quick, two little like pieces of feedback that we received here this week. Oh yeah. Hate mail. I'm one ready. is for me. <laughs> oh, finally. And, and one is for you. But uh, the first well, one is, is that. It's powerful, I mentioned in last week's episode, in our discussion about the Meg, about it's like, you know, Dave, when I first got into Jason Statham, one of the movies I really, really loved was The Mechanic, except that's not the movie I meant. It's so funny because I say it twice, The Mechanic, uh-huh. and you're like, hey, yeah, yeah, I've seen The Mechanic. I guess it's okay. And for some reason, it still didn't click with me. What I meant to say was The Bank Job, oh, not yeah. The Mechanic. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the Bank Job both- is really good. Uh, the Mechanic... I have not seen, so I can't speak oh, okay. to it. So someone called you out on that? Yes, like, how, did you like the, how did you like the mechanic? Oh, okay, okay, okay. And you're and like, I looked wait at a second. Like, you're right. No, I don't mean the mechanic. Okay, I meant the okay. bank job. Yeah. It's, it's not a, a good movie. Although, is the bank job better? Well, I, I guess I can't say because I haven't seen the mechanic, but uh, okay. I really remember liking the bank job. So. All right, all right. Well, apparently you really like this movie. So clearly... Mm. Clearly, I don't, know if, I don't know if really a like is how I would describe anything that. over a two is a problem for okay, this film. Fine, fine, <laughs> Jesus Christ. For some reason, you think that giving something two and a half stars, like, well, you basically gave it five, you're close enough. <laughs> uh, it's basically saying that you're fine with it. That's what 2.5 means. You're okay we'll with it existing. It. We'll get into it. Okay. <laughs> the other one was someone wrote in anonymously and said, oh. please, please tell Dave that yes. Jason Statham stripping 
is watchable. <laughs> Fine. Fine. Uh, he has a hard body. But, yeah, but here's the thing. Like, nobody wants to watch Jason Statham strip is what you said. That was your exact quote. Um, and they continue on saying, I watched Transporter on loop when I was a teenager because he strips in multiple scenes. He also strips yeah. in the Meg and that's enough. So. <laughs> Fine. I'll accept, I'll accept that comment because it's funny. And generally, it's fine to be true. I still think it doesn't distract from the point that I, I really just think he's a better actor than he wants people to believe. Mm-hmm. I really do think he's got it in him. But I just don't, he just doesn't give a fuck because he makes enough money making, what's the new Meg called? We saw the trailer uh, this Meg weekend. Meg 2, The Trench. <laughs> so go, go get that paycheck, Jason. Can I just point out something? And maybe the movie explains it. My guess is they don't. But for a movie called Meg 2, The Trench. I didn't see a single trench in that trailer. I just well, wanna... there was a line that oh, they went there? deeper. Of oh, they course, went deeper. they, they, went they into penetrated the... deeper. Double trench. Found, yeah, well, triple apparently. I guess according to the trailer, you never want a triple trench. That's that's bad news. I you know. I mean, one trench mm-hmm. trenching is probably bad. Mm-hmm. Double trenching sounds violent, but triple trenching that's. Asking for trouble. Just to tie up that conversation in a nice little bow. There is an actor I'm thinking of, and I just can't remember who it is, who was, oh, it's Matthew McConaughey. That's the, that was the thing I was going to say. It's like, for years, was like considered like this joke, was considered like, uh, oh, the rom-com guy, the guy who right. takes his shirt off in every movie. And then there was this moment where he said, what if I was a good actor? And just started <laughs> doing like banger after banger of performances. Yeah. You're like, oh my gosh, this guy's really, really good. I'm wondering if Jason Statham will have a similar thing where it's like holy shit where was this guy the entire time no i think he's too far in his own trope now he just makes too much money being a meathead it's you know who's gonna put him in uh maybe maybe a statham fan will know maybe he did try a drama and it just and it sucked and so he just went back to taking his shirt off and punching stuntmen in the face i don't know and i don't have a problem with the you know the meg in particular is just a bad movie you know, I don't, I don't mind Jason Statham. Can I say a controversial opinion on this show now, Dave? Sure. I'm still not going to go pay money to go and see it, but it seems just from mm-hmm. the trailer alone oh, that no. the, the, the sequel seems to be leaning way more into the cheese. So I might yes. like it more potentially. You would for yeah. sure. It, it, they might as well have put a giant stamp camp, uh, a stamp called camp, a camp stamp, sorry, <laughs> a, camp stamp. a giant camp stamp. As yeah. they started that trailer, because uh, that was my that was my initial reaction to as soon as it started. I'm like, Kyle's totally going to watch this stupid piece of shit. <laughs> He's going to pay fifteen to, bucks. I have to admit that I do regret my camp stamp that I got in my early twenties. <laughs> so, <laughs> deciding to get it on your neck was a really bold choice. Just a quick shout out to Landmark Cinemas. I love your chairs, man. Oh yeah. Holy shit. So they're so nice. Yeah. I I do like the recliners. I, this is why it's so hard for me to go to the other big theater that we have here in the city because they don't have recliners. And like 45 minutes in, I'm like uncomfortable. I'm just like, oh, yeah. But you leave your ass hurts. Is Landmark a Calgary company? No, it's a, it's a Canadian company as far as I know. Oh, we need to give them more money because they need more of that chair. If I had more of that chair, I, I mm-hmm. would more often consider spending 15 bucks to go to the theater because uh, it reclines. It does. It's fine. If you pay so even nice. more money, you can get ones that actually regulate heat and all this other stuff. Oh, I don't do that. I just do the recline. That's fine for me. But Dave, let's get into our history with this film. I think we need to start with the original Mary Poppins film from okay. 1964. So okay. what are your thoughts and feelings on the original Mary Poppins? 
yeah, I think everybody who's old like us, welcome to your 40s one more day, mm -hmm. uh, is in some sense raised by the Mary Poppins film because if you had any public access television, you probably watched at least an hour of Disney oh, yeah. a week. And this movie was probably on once a month. <laughs> yeah, I saw this a lot huh. of times growing up. Yeah. Can I just make something so depressing? Yes. This comes out in 1964. I was, I was born in 1983. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which means that when I was watching this film, it was basically 20 years old when I was a young kid watching this movie, which is as if someone was watching a movie from the early 2000s now. Like, that's basically yeah. what it would feel like for a kid watching movies today. So well, I don't know. Like, if you put on The Matrix, it's, it's still a banger. It's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that in, in comparison, when I was a kid, this didn't feel like that old of a movie. <laughs> oh, now it would. Like... This is one of those staple cultural impact films that, so my son has never watched the original. My wife somehow has never watched the original. But then if I say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, everybody's like, oh, I know that word. Sure. It's not yeah. even a real word for fuck's yes, sake. Completely made but up. Every, everybody in North America knows what that word is. That's how powerful that first film is. And uh, I'm going to say it's my second Julie Andrews film because I'm pretty sure Sound of Music was on more often sure. yeah, yeah. than uh, Mary Poppins. But I loved it. And uh, this is a movie that really introduced me to Dick Van Dyke, I'm pretty sure, because I don't think his comedy bits were on public television prior to that. And he had already not been making movies for a while. He was fucking old, even then, mm -hmm. in the 90s. So, uh, yeah. He, he had to be uh, on that uh, diagnosis murder show, so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, I, we didn't watch it yet. I won't say it holds up in a technological sense, but I'm pretty sure I would have fun watching Mary Poppins. Yeah, I like the thing about it is, and, and we'll get into it when we talk more fully about this sequel to the movie, you can basically do a lot of this, a lot of the same, not all, but a lot of the same criticisms for this movie to that movie, which is it's pretty formless. The songs do go on a long time <laughs> in some in some sequences that like the main character doesn't have any like character growth like we would normally want in these films. And yet it is one of my favorite movies of all time. Like I just like putting on it's a long and there are certain sections that i like way more than others but as a whole piece it's like i think because of the julie andrews performance yes i like david tomlinson as well like the old yeah, yeah. gruff guy stodgy, um, uh, yeah. stodgy guy and uh the sherman brothers who wrote the music for that movie long time disney stalwarts it's like banger after banger in yeah. that score it's like Chim oh yeah it's yeah Chim like this one, Jolly holiday like uh tuppence a bag like you can pretty much keep going through the whole score and it's like oh my gosh like you wrote it all like, for this Kyle, movie we just watched this piece of shit sequel mm -hmm. like yesterday name a single song like just by name name one uh, the, the only one no. i can i only no. the only one i can do is you like i wrote uh, it down i can see peeking <laughs> at your iphone right now no, it's like, I couldn't even tell you the, the full title. I was, I was going to prove your point, which is like the stuff where things are meant to go or something like that. The stuff where the, I can't we already talked about the trench. So we'll skip that part. I was going to say, you know, the difference is it's, it's Julie Andrews. Like I love Emily Blunt. Mm -hmm. I do. I really like her and Dick Van Dyke because they're fun and charming and they're so proficient at just being musical movie stars there's something there's something like the kids are fucking obnoxious in the first movie <laughs> yeah i was gonna say too, yeah that was the other yeah. criticism i was gonna throw like the kids kind of obnoxious in that first yeah. movie too they're way worse in this one but we'll i'll just sound like a complete asshole in about five minutes when we start talking mm -hmm. about this film yeah anyways first movie uh, i have fond nostalgic memories i actually haven't watched it in uh, a few years so maybe that's what i'll try to do later well you brought her up was there anything more you wanted to say about emily blunt Oh, I've always liked her. I, I think 
I don't know. What's the what's the right way to put it? I, I just like her. I think she's capable uh, on all the uh, mm-hmm. all the spectrum of acting. I'm surprised that she's a good singer too. Why not? Yeah. You know, why not? From her bits on Saturday Night Live that I've seen on YouTube, I know that she's got her comedic turns and she's uh, self-aware, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she can make fun of herself. So Her and her husband, John Krasinski. Yeah. And, and uh, John Krasinski, of course, uh, is funny. So. <laughs> And like Jordan Peele, loves horror movies, apparently. Uh, Mm -hmm. So anybody who's going to be cast in this film was not going to be able to pull it off. Because you always have to come up to Julie Edge. Helen, before she walked out of watching this film yesterday, asked me why Anne Hathaway didn't do it. And I just thought, I think she was really, I think she blacklisted musicals after Les Mis because uh, I read that it really destroyed. Yes and no. I mean, I don't want to get into this. I don't know. There is this weird backlash against Anne Hathaway around this time. Uh, oh, was people, it for the Oscars? Yeah, basically. It was her and like James Franco's performance at yeah. the Oscars. She wins one. And people are like, she's so like theater kid energy, like overblown, like she's annoying. And I think she just like retreated completely. Yeah. <laughs> and just said, no, I'm not going to be in anything for Why a while. Deal with it. Yeah. And then slowly built her career back up. I have always been a big fan of Anne Hathaway. And I always thought it was a little overblown people's like criticisms of her, especially for the Oscar performance, because 99% of that was James Franco. I'm just going to say that. Oh, the Oscar was James Franco. I mean, and that's been proven in time because yeah. he has lost his mind. Yes. Yeah. There was actually a big, I forget if that was last year or the year before, a big piece in, um, was written about it that I read online. I forget if it was from, uh, Variety or one of those types of magazines that did. They went and interviewed everyone and talked about it. Like, yeah, he basically sabotaged the entire night. Like, that was the whole thing that happened. That was his comedy bit. Anyways. But I agree. I actually think if I was to cast this, I think Anne Hathaway would have been the better choice to be in it. Not that I think she would have made the movie good to to be put in. No, the movie's Um, not good. Because I think that my problems I have with it do come from... Lin-Manuel Miranda. No, actually, I agree. No, I, He's pretty awful in this. No, yes. we'll, we'll have a fight about that. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, I think all the troubles come with the actual premise. Like, where did they decide to start oh, this movie? And then oh, and then the the writing overall. But well, again, we'll get into that fucking in a terrible. moment. Why even make this a sequel? Yeah, we'll get into it. Okay, I was going to wait. I was going to wait. But I wish they had just remade the first film. To be honest, like, just to get out of the way. Yeah, or to like, you can just bring Mary Poppins into a completely different... Like, why are we worried about this fucking nepo baby shit like the yeah. kids of or a rich not, banker are gonna lose their who gives a fuck yeah or just not worry about the first film like there's eight <laughs> books of mary poppins it's like it's just a new story else. who cares yeah, we can I'm do like, something else and i think if we had done that too it might have been enough distance for emily blunt to just be, be a different mary poppins yeah. right but they had to insert it into the same world which is a huge mistake that's why lin manuel like i i obviously have a beef with him being in films like visually but he also gets trapped being the son, essentially, illegitimate son of Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. Huge mistake, right? Like, why are we doing that? Well, Ken, we're, we're jumping into reviewing the movie before we were supposed to be reviewing the movie. But yes, because this movie gets in that trap that I, that I have a lot of times with legacy sequels or sequels that are like decades after the first film. It's like, we have to keep making all these references and we're only doing this sequence because it, yeah. something similar happened like this in the first film. It's like, don't worry about it. Just make your own film. It's It's fine. Just make yourself. your own film. It's okay. Yeah. And the music's shit, but okay, let's yes. go. I, w- I will agree that overall, most of the music in this movie is not good. Ab- about this movie, yeah. in 2018, if you cast your mind back five years ago, yeah. Yeah. did you even want to go and see this movie and just couldn't? No. Or was it okay? No. I don't, so I, 
It pretentiously I knew would not be good because the concept didn't sound good. And as you know, I've got a thing against Lin-Manuel Miranda, the actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't think that he was cast correctly. I mean, if Dick Van Dyke's getting shit for being an American actor with a fucking shit Cockney accent, why are we bringing Lin-Manuel <laughs> yeah, Miranda into this film in the first place? There's so many good theatrical actors that are British. Like, why? Insert crickets? I don't know. It's like fucking ridiculous. Well, no, I mean, again, I can kind of answer that question. Well, he was popular. Yes, that's that's exactly what it was. We were still at peak, like, Hamilton, like, infusing itself everywhere. Uh, how many close-ups of his face are in this film? Because sure. we're supposed to recognize I'm just saying that he, uh, Disney hitched their wagon to the manuel very early on. So they bring him into it for a bunch of projects, acting in this case, but then he writes music and lyrics for Moana and he does it for Encanto or Encanto. He can write music. Yeah, We're sure. all in on, yes, I was about to say, it's like, I almost kind of wish he had written the music for this yes. movie, but because it probably would have been better. That's how I knew it'd be bad too. When it opened and said music by Bubble, I'm like, okay, A, why is he in it then? Yeah. And B, you know, you've missed the opportunity because he's actually. A music, he's a musician, not Weirdly an actor. enough, Dave, like <laughs> even hardcore Broadway fans, of all of his like triple threatness, his acting is by far the weakest. Yeah. Uh, like he's, he's a really, good in my opinion, really good lyricist and music writer. It's like, just keep yeah. him doing that because he actually does really well when, it, when, he's, when he's focused on that. Anyways, uh, this is a lead up for me to say, back in 2018, I was still making YouTube videos on a weekly basis. And I mm. pivoted my channel. I haven't, I haven't revealed this yet two adaptations so talking about the original source material and then talking about how the movie had adapted that material so i had done kind of a deep dive into the mary poppins universe i read the first couple of oh, i've never read the books i yeah, read yeah. the first couple of books and then went and rewatched the first film then watched this film in theaters and made a couple of videos around like this is how they have adapted things back then and how they took things that they cut out of the first movie and brought it into this movie. So I do have a little bit of <laughs> more knowledge than probably the, um, a normal person would have. Uh, as not far probably. As like- Absolutely. And because uh, there's nobody mm-hmm. who's read any of these books that is still alive. That's not actually true. Again, from working at the bookstore, the Mary Poppins books still do get bought occasionally. Uh, so, well, so no, um, just quickly because we are definitely off off the track mm-hmm. now. But what would then is your opinion about the controversy around how the book was translated into the film? Because Disney Disney into Disney this film everything. or the first one. Uh, first one. Well, and then by extension, this one, because this one is yeah, an adaptation I mean, of the film. I'll, I'll go into more detail when we get into our backstory section. Uh, okay. okay. I, I ultimately feel bad for P.L. Travers, who, to also be abundantly fair, was known kind of as a prickly person to deal with in the best of situations. But Walt Disney, the, the actual Walt Disney, really pulled a fast one on her. And I don't think that's even a secret at this point anymore. As much as Saving Mr. Banks wants to gloss this situation over she hated that movie yeah <laughs> with every fiber of her being because basically what if people don't know is that walt disney came to her and said what is it going to take for you to give me the rights to make this book because he had wanted to do it for like 20 something years before they eventually got to do it and said okay i don't want there to be any animated sequences i don't want there to be a lot of singing in it blah blah, blah. and then what does disney do is like yes i'll do that and then totally disregarded everything that she had asked him to do and then made it. Now, I just so happen to think that the movie still works really wonderfully well, but mm-hmm. it was kind of a shitty thing for, for Walt Disney to do. I don't think Walt Disney ever did anything bad. I support every decision he ever made in his life. But that, that, that's all to say is that I must have had like this amazing theater experience because when I rewatched it for this podcast, I was like, I don't know why I gave it such a high score. <laughs> I know <laughs> the first why, time. because uh, Angela Lansbury is in it, spoiler alert. Yeah. 
Dick Van Dyke can still dance. Yeah. Okay. Meryl Streep actually fucking sang her socks off mm-hmm. and made one of the songs watchable. And uh, you're a nerd. So, um, yeah, I think maybe a lot of the research uh, helped fill in some gaps because there's a lot of sequences from this movie that are in the first Mary Poppins book. Like, mm-hmm. they're just straight adaptations of things that happen in those books. Uh, ultimately, though, I will say this straight up have not thought about this movie even for a second in five years since I've watched it. It's instantly forgettable. It's instantly yeah. forgettable, in my yeah. opinion. But we, I guess we don't need to belabor <laughs> so the point. Know. So the episode's over, right? We can, we can <laughs> well, just let's get into it. a bigger conversation <laughs> of Mary Poppins Returns. Same thing that brought me the first time. I've come to look after the bank's children. Us? Oh, yes, you too. We're about to lose our home. Everything's fallen to pieces since your mother. I miss mother. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. It's a good thing you come along when you did, Mary Poppins. How'd you do that? Do what? So you've been off filling the children's heads with stuff and nonsense. You've forgotten what it's like to be a child. All right, Dave, we should probably think of a uh, scenario here. So let's do this. Let's say that we've gone to Joy O England. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they all talk over there, right? Yeah, yeah, apparently. At least according to Lynn Manuel. <laughs> Or, or whoever his accent, his accent coach. <laughs> I'm talking over, yeah. You know, they, they don't say their H's. So we've, we're taking a trip over there and uh, we're, we're enjoying Piccadilly Circus mm-hmm. and breaking through the crowds on this glorious Saturday afternoon. A woman comes floating down on an umbrella and she has Mary Poppins Returns on Disney DVD. Wow. And she's like, clamshell. <laughs> Good sirs, please tell me what this movie is about. And she like thrusts <laughs> the DVD into your chest. Right. What do you respond with? Imagine if a room full of bitter movie execs who are not lived as ch- loved as children sat around and thought, you know what would be great is if we remade a movie that was a big banger for us and we cast everybody incorrectly and made it the most dour piece of shit, uh, we'll probably still make a billion dollars. That's I want to know the executive who was like, we a thousand percent need to start this with a dead wife. <laughs> <laughs> the whole movie's so fucking depressing. All right, I mean, uh, it's usually the same thing about Up, and Up is considered one of like the greatest cartoons No, but it's shot, like, it's not just, the, it's not the story, which is bad, but it's shot in this like overly cinematic, dour, right? Like the tones. The tones yeah. yeah, everything's so like flat and melancholy. It, even some of the cartoon and dancing bits, until they do that... BMX scene, which is clearly right, on a stage. So weird. Like, why the fuck would we switch to a soundstage in the middle of uh, the alley? Anyways, okay, sorry. Uh, I'm getting off sidetracked. Uh, the two obnoxious kids from the first Mary Poppins story have grown up into obnoxious adults, and they're about to lose a house when they're saved once again by Mary Poppins. That's right. But yeah. I will say, shit, I completely just forgot his uh, character's Q? name. Yeah, Q. Michael. Okay, Michael yeah. definitely has a glam up. Can we just uh, acknowledge yeah. that? Because Ben yeah. Wisha, ooh baby, <laughs> he's uh, 
I like him. I, do, and, I call you him Human Paddington is what I like to call him. <laughs> Honestly, he's such a good actor. Even like if we took his scenes out of the context of a Mary Poppins film, yeah, he great. actually acts his socks off in this mm -hmm. fucking movie. And it's such a waste of energy. Emily, uh, no. Mortimer. Another, yeah. Mortimer was awful in this. Like, I'm sorry. Well, she's, she's, I like she's her given a lot. Nothing. I, I know. was about to say, she's given literally nothing to do. And yeah. this is kind of my point. They're so focused on, like, this has to be a sequel to Mary Poppins. We so we'll have to, like, sister. we'll yeah. kill his wife off and have his sister come in. Like, <laughs> wouldn't it just make more sense for that just to be a family who's losing their house and it's just husband and wife? Like, why do we have to put in this dead wife supply? It just so know. blows my mind. Like, you don't need to do this. Actually, you know, I just realized it's because of Hook and because of whatever, because they had success with old Wendy and they had success mm. doing these uh, leverage sequels. That's got to be why. Because, the, yeah, it doesn't make human logical sense. It had to be movie producer logic. There yeah. has to be some spreadsheet where they calculated pre-computer algorithm, you know, some bunch of old guys going like, well, if we add uh, seven celebrities and uh, yeah. we utilize the pre-existing plot holes. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. I have a bit of a bias against two of the creatives that are a part of this. First okay. is Mr. Rob Marshall, who, again, for people who don't know, came to a lot of prominence as a Broadway um, choreographer. That's where he first started his roles and then kind of transferred over into film. Uh, and in my opinion somehow lucked into his first feature being Chicago, which is pretty good. That movie wins best director, or sorry, wins best picture. And every other movie he's ever done, I've grated my teeth while watching it because- <laughs> well, what it, are, Name one. He does the Into the Woods adaptation, which Terrible. I think is a travesty to that source yeah. material. Like I get so angry at how, how that was adapted. He does the musical Nine with Daniel Day-Lewis, also bad. And, and he, they lose to the musical called did, Nine? Called Nine. It's an what? adaptation of Eight and a Half, which was a Broadway show. Like, Nine what? was a Broadway show that was fairly successful. And then they I adapted it. I had no it idea. I and he does Memoirs no of a Geisha. Those are his oh films that he's done. Oh, and he he's the new Little Mermaid, right? Oh, sure, yeah. And he did the newest yeah. Little Mermaid. That's right. Which... I'm not going to see unless someone points a gun at me and tells Disney me. Disney Plus, that's why, I, that's why I give Disney my blood money. All of this mm -hmm. stuff is going to be trickled down to me and past its due date. Mm -hmm. Guardians 3, I'm just waiting. Yeah. I'm just waiting. So while I actually do agree, because he does a bunch of the choreography, like the choreography in and of itself, I actually don't have a problem with. My biggest problem with Rob Marshall movies is how he uses the camera to cut between what's happening on screen. So Because messy. let me tell you this, Dave, he's no Bob Fosse. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, uh, you know, we don't often get too technical because we're not filmmakers, but this thing is like 45 minutes too long. It stutters and like every scene change changes the tone of the fucking story. Like it's just so messy. And then it gets mired in this idea that, oh, well, then go in the bath. We have to have an underwater scene because we've done this before. We got to use the same style of animation. Like, fuck off. Just stop. Just stop. Think okay. about it. Well, here's the thing. Make though. an interesting film. Before yeah. you jump into all the stuff that you don't like, and this is a movie that I'm not that big of a fan of either. Okay. I just want to label for me, because I know you're going to disagree on a few of these points. For me. I can see my face on Zoom and I look like I'm going to start yelling. Yeah. For me, <laughs> these are the sections that I think actually do work in this film. All right. Okay. That's fair. So, Let's number do, one, I do think that the whole Meryl Streep. The Amazing. section is great. Hilarious. I like that. I like that song performance. I think it's funny. There is some witty lyrics that happen inside of that one performance. Mm 
Could mm-hmm. I hum it to you right now? Could not. No. But no. <laughs> I actually do like the animated Dalton Bull sequence. I think that that's... Oh, uh, the chase. Yeah, the chase. And I didn't like and the her performance, performance up on stage and all that kind of stuff. That whole digression, I'm actually kind of here for. <laughs> I think oh. that that whole... Yeah. Literally, the whole no, Dalton not, Ball not sequence works for me. a little Chicago? Okay. All right. Nah, it, it, again, it works. You get caught in this, like, should it be exactly like the original or should we update mm-hmm. this for a modern audience? And it's the only time where I feel like the movie kind of comes alive a little bit. I'm like, okay, this is yeah, what yeah. it could be like for the entire thing. Fine. I like the, what, two minutes that Dick Van Dyke comes back? Yeah. <laughs> Because well, he's like, he's 92 and literally jumping up onto a desk. I'm like, I don't know how you're doing well, that. That's the thing about him. He doesn't even have to do anything. He's always sparkling. There's mm-hmm. a, the, you know, the, I, that, the phrase, the gleam in the eye, that's like his entire persona. He's just gleaming all the time. Things are sparkling in a non-Twilight way with that man. Yeah. So as soon as he walks out in front of a camera, you just, you have to smile. He's just, he's great. That man moves in physically impossible ways. Well, we've also talked about this before. There's like just some people that just have it. Like it just, you can't it's even just explain why. It's like, man. But as soon as he comes on screen, like, oh, that's a movie star. <laughs> the yeah. movie star just walked <laughs> on the set. i this. Yeah. Yeah. Even though this is already the second hour of this fucking movie. Uh, right, right. right. Um, and then finally... There's parts of, <laughs> I have to be very careful how I phrase this, there's parts of the balloon sequence that I do actually enjoy. I mean, Angela Lansbury can still sing. Uh, this yeah, is I just think that's part of it, which is good. I realize I'm biased. It, for whatever reason, whenever Angela Lansbury starts to sing, it's like, I feel like I'm at home. Like, it just, there's yeah. something preternatural that happens when she starts to sing. I'm like, no, I'm in this 100%. I'm not big on them actually floating around. But yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> the, the, just... the, the, the actual song and her conversation with colin firth and all that kind of stuff all kind of works for me fine fine i'll I'll accept all four of your bright spots in this otherwise stinking pile of shit but the second person on the creative team they really do have a love-hate relationship with is mark shaman who does the music and lyrics to this who again disney has basically you know collaborated with for the last you know, a couple of decades. He's really called in all the time. He does a lot of the, like the Oscar medleys and stuff like that too, for when um, Billy Crystal used to uh, perform and stuff like that. Um, okay. He would write for, he's done, anyways, he's done a lot of like TV work and, and movie work. And uh, outside of a few exceptions, I have found his output for probably the last 15 years so generic that it frustrates me because like you have access to so many other talented people that could probably make this stuff work better anyways that's that's me a little bit being mean I just, i've never i've not no, been a big not, mark shaman it's fan. not mean it's like it would be mean if like what uh what was i watching we were watching a stevie nicks documentary and mm. the head music critic for uh the what's the the gay culture mag out in new york the big one is village voice or it could be anyways he is that's a hater. Like every time he says Stevie Nicks, he basically is spitting on the floor. He fucking hates this woman. She's fucking terrible. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. he's like, but you know, in this album, she, she was quite magnificent, but she's and he was like, you know, that's, that's being cruel because he's right. just an asshole. He just, whatever it is he's got against her. But if you're saying this guy, Mark Shaman has not written anything memorable in 15 years. Yes. It's obvious because nobody remembers Mm-hmm. anything in this movie basically I, I just looked it up here the last thing that i have enjoyed that he's done is hairspray that that i enjoyed and everything but, else is so pretty the, but that was adaptation of the music well i he think didn't, or did he create hairspray like the musical let me just look up for for theater so we're asking a lot of him too because he's not really he's oh not no sorry really. i'm wrong he did actually do it on on the the original broadway 
compositions from 2002 he did it as well but like that's why i like it because it's actually built for broadway built for broadway and not for film he did the uh the recent broadway adaptation of some like it hot if you want to know the definition of generic listen to that album listen to that cast album every song sounds exactly the same <laughs> it is <laughs> remarkable how i'm like am i still listening to the same song no i've listened to four but they just all sounded so similar they didn't know that they were starting and stopping my wife and son both walked out of the living room yesterday mm-hmm. uh, with this thing on i think they were just bored to tears so nothing surprising about any of this criticism this movie sucks right so we'll get into your thoughts here but here is fundamentally i think why this fails the original film for as much as it's called mary poppins does a really smart thing in that it focuses the story through the children's eyes where Mm -hmm. that is who we first meet it is them who decide like we need a nanny and they write their letter and that's what brings mary poppins into our lives this movie as we've already stated yeah there's kids there but they're not the main characters it's the old people who are like dealing with a dead wife and wanting to get into a relationship with jack mary poppins shows up for a reason i guess i don't know why she's there in the first place there's no um pushing the plot ahead through the children's children characters and so they seem so superfluous to this plot that's like why are they even here i don't even understand why they're here not just that but they're fucking creepy they're written so (laughs) poorly no they're written very poorly because they're given dialogue of a victorian british old gent like they don't speak like human beings and it's cast poorly number one the little kid who has the biggest role is a fucking troll but more importantly they don't look they don't look related they're like fucking sucky and whiny and obnoxious the entire time i think you mean british they don't uh, transmit that joyous feeling of a kid in a kid's movie there's no wonderment Mm -hmm. like we watched charlie and the chocolate factory and i did not like it Mm-hmm. But Charlie actually looked like a kid who's having the time of his fucking life in there. Sure, movie, sure. Right? And he's not a trained actor. These are for sure, you know, like pangent mom trained actor kids. And yeah. they are awful. Well, I mean, I think the other big example you can give movies that are coming out around the same time as this movie is and actually feature most of the same actors are the Paddington movies. And those are great movies. Yeah. And that was a big discri- uh, distraction for me too is Julie, oh, fuck, Haggard? No. Waters. Waters. No. Is Yes, I might, yeah. She shouldn't have been cast in this film. A, she's too good for this role, because uh, the movie's a dour piece of shit. But B, because she's the same type of character in Paddington, except she's funnier, and that movie actually is made with joy. Uh, you know, it's like, it's beautiful and bright and vivacious, and everybody's laughing. And when the bad guy comes and they do a visual tone change, it's still cartoony and like, you know, exaggerated, mm-hmm. borderline camp, frankly, because it's a kid's movie. Sure. Whereas this thing, part of it is like shot like an existential fucking documentary, man. That scene where Q is singing in the attic to his dead wife is the most depressing I fucking know. five it's minutes. Like, that's how you open them. I mean, I, mean, I know there's the Lynn Manuel Miranda song that begins the movie, but like, uh, which is such for a like waste of a second too. song in a movie to be like, I'm sad. I'm really sad. My wife is oh. dead. I'm like, guys, you cannot <laughs> open your movie like this. That's like that's uh. an hour in when you reveal like. Uh, yes this yeah. is why you said <laughs> and you can you can edit that shit down man mm-hmm. okay that's the problem dialogue's a problem the kid actors are a problem the premise doesn't make any sense we have to put ourselves in a box where every character is comparable to a, a timeless character yes. from the original film this is kind of my biggest problem one of my bigger problems too it's like i like the royal dalton sequence a lot but then it's like well, we have to do a chimchimari sequence, and we have to do yeah. this sequence, and we have to do that. And I was like, no, you don't. You don't have to have every song be a reference to the previous movie. 
Why did they put BMX bikers in this movie? Well, I guess it's probably because why do you have like chimney sweeps are doing backflips? I guess it's probably going to be the- No, chimney sweeps doing backflips. Chimney sweeps are a real profession in in the 19th century of England. Backflips is just a choreography Mm -hmm. ask. Putting rail slide things on the side of your fucking bike so you can jump down and grind a rail is idiotic. And probably, because like 2018, the X Games and stuff is already overly public. It's not like a new, fresh idea. It's it's upsetting. And all the songs are way too long. Even so they get to that big number, which is totally a ripoff of Chim 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 Chimery. Oh my God. Mm. And they put it onto a Broadway stage, yeah, which is such a weird thing to decide to do. And then they do this big, big choreography number that I, I started scrubbing it. Is it like six, seven minutes oh, from front to while. back? I don't know. I didn't time it. Oh, but. dude. And uh, it sucks. There's some, again, the, I, don't, I don't think the choreography is It's not the dancer's fault. Acting, yeah. I know. It's not the dancer's fault. There's some very talented people involved in this film. I mean, even the actors are talented people. They're just not <laughs> in I've the right Because I've seen them place. in other movies, so I know that they're yeah. talented. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, so all of that's shit. And then the story, as bad as the premise is, ends up A, in the most predictable, inane, and dumb way. And then B, should have ended with them gluing together this note mm-hmm. where he basically owns a million dollars. But there's 20 more minutes after that, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Like- who fucking comes up with this shit? Who green lights this stuff? This is not something that should exist. This should have been something where someone storyboarded it and said, no, like, we need to sit on this. Someone needs to cut this apart and rebuild it because we know it's going to be bad. Well, this never had a chance. I know we've talked about this on quite a few different episodes about, like, the current state of Disney. And really, who are we when they're still making, like, a billion dollars a movie? But, because sure. apparently the formula is still working. Is this a billion dollar movie? No, no, sorry. Okay, no, okay. Not to- <laughs> no, 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 I was just, I was about to lose my mind. We already had uh, to deal with Venom. But, I know. Uh, uh, if this made a billion dollars, I would million dollar duck this fucking thing. I feel like I have to do a lot of prefacing here because I know you're going to want to jump in. I totally <laughs> understand that like Pixar has a problem right now of making quote unquote kids films that are really not for kids anymore. Okay. But one of the things that I do appreciate about Pixar is that they are not afraid to scrap an entire movie if it's just not hitting mm. right. Like it's happened multiple times where they've gotten like 75% of the way through the making of something and been like, no, we're trashing this. Or it's like, we have to go right back to the script level, rewrite this, re-storyboard it, and then, it. Mm. or like reanimate it, which is why sometimes their movies are like $150 million to make because they've had to yeah. make it three times. But there's something to that where it's like, no, we need to make sure this is hitting exactly right on we want to tell. Yeah. I cannot imagine that any one of the creatives, possibly the actors, I don't know, but definitely the creatives behind this, I do not feel like there was a passion for the material. No. It was just like, well, this is asked to make a sequel. I guess this was, is going to work for a sequel. And now we're making the sequel. Like, that's kind of how it feels like this was put together. Yeah. It's a kid's film. And my wife and son walked out. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a, that's all of it right there. That's my review. True. You know, this is supposed to be a family film. Even if my kids, my kid and my wife don't like musicals, and maybe they can't get through all of the original Mary Poppins because the tone is too old fashioned. I don't know. We haven't tried it yet. But you should not have a kid rolling his eyes in the first 10 minutes of a fucking kid's movie. Yeah. And sighing and asking me why we're watching this thing. <laughs> no, I agreed. I mean, the other big thing that's really hard to wrangle is like early 1900s and definitely Victorian stuff that's made for children 
is so hard because what kids wanted back then or what was made for them at the very least, I just don't think translates a whole lot anymore. Mm. It's the same thing I feel like if you read the Mary Poppins books, which I've read the first two, or Dr. Doolittle, or... Well, even like uh, Alice in Wonderland and that kind of stuff. Like that stuff, just there's no cultural touch points anymore for them to even understand what's happening. I actually kind of feel the same way for the Narnia books, to be honest with you, because if you don't have any idea about World War II Britain at the same at that time, it's like a lot of the allusions and even the setting don't really make sense. Heavy Christian, uh, right? Christian allegory that's that's going on. Anyways, uh, no, I agree, but that's why you have writers. I will say, too, the big thing that this is true for the original Mary Poppins film in this film is that the character of Mary Poppins is so drastically different in the books. Like, do you know what the original, like, how... This I've only heard, this is what I was asking. Yeah. This I've only heard about, but I don't, I don't actually know anything. Never so mean-spirited in the books, at least. I think that Julie Andrews and even Emily Blunt, to a certain extent, there is this a little bit of, like... Um, Hard edge. There's a hard edge and like there's a mischievousness to them, mm-hmm. like breaking mm-hmm. rules. But she is outright like, I hate children, like in the books. Oh, and it's like, wow. I don't like you. And she's mean and she's just like rude to everyone. And that was part of like the humor that P.L. Travers was time. putting them uh. and putting it in there. And like, that's why it's funny. Cause, uh, anyways, it is such a weird like disconnect if you only know the movies and then go and read the books. It's like, holy shit, like Mary is so awful. I will say that the books even make it even more obvious than the original film that her and Bert uh, probably bone down at some point. And the first one, uh, for a film of the 1960s, it's pretty obvious that they yeah. have uh, laid down relations, let's just say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had, a, had an adult sleepover at some point in their past. Uh, Dick Van Dyke has a very yeah, he cleaned thorough... her chimneys, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, they're swept because he's uh, he's got a thorough knowledge of her before she even sets foot into mm-hmm. the park. So uh, they be boinging. Uh, this one is weird on that level too, because why the fuck with this? Child of the chimneys is he the illegitimate son of their union? Like it's just a mistake. All of it was a mistake. Yeah, I, I wish like so when they went underwater in the bath actually perked up a bit because that's you know nostalgic oh, and i'm yeah. like oh you know like maybe this is gonna turn out and then the song's so flat yeah I'm just yeah the song that song's not good but I, that's the other thing i was gonna bring up one thing i do appreciate is that i mean there's definitely a lot of cgi and stuff going on here but there's a lot of practical effects that they're doing like that whole like yeah. slide into the bathtub yeah um, i remember yeah. at the time there being like a behind the scenes video of how they shot that and it's like, mm. yeah, it's, they actually made it <laughs> to, they had so a tube she, to, yeah a tube that she would fall back in and like you know <laughs> All that kind of stuff. So she fell through a bath. Did you use a tube? Oh my God. We need to make a movie about this. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) (laughs) The bubbles weren't real? Jesus Christ. I'm always a sucker for for well-made, like, uh, practical effects. No, it it looked good. And those little parts are where Emily Blunt looks like she's actually having fun Mm -hmm. on camera. Which I think that's that's her sort of twinkle is that like even if you watch Edge of Tomorrow or like I haven't watched the horror movies. I think we have to watch one this year, don't we? Yes. But when she has fun, she lights up because she has kind of a comedian's energy underneath all the dramatic uh, ability that she has. So you can see it. Like she starts smiling when she's actually enjoying herself in a scene. And there's parts of this where I'm pretty sure it's like take 40 and she's like, I just don't want to, I don't yeah. want to be here anymore. Are you telling a woman that she should just smile more? Maybe there's a bunch of stuff from later books too that gets adapted into into this movie in particular. The 
Dalton Bowl and the Meryl Streep sequence are direct adaptations from the first book. Those are things okay. that happen in that first book. So okay. that's why I'm thinking like, I think the stuff that was directly adapted kind of works because there's a yeah. framework for it. And all the yeah. stuff that was just kind of made up for this movie feels like so shoehorned or like not as alive. Yeah. Like, because those are, if that's, if that's true, those are the two scenes for me that made me sit up a bit. Like I watched mm. the whole Meryl Streep uh, yeah. piece without turning it off. And I love, you know, we've, uh, we've kind of learned a lot about her as soon as like you don't even see her face when she's just calling through the door and i was like huh a fairly authentic sounding affected accent and then in the back because it's like a quite a wide shot where she kind of pops her head mm-hmm. up and i'm like i'm pretty sure that's meryl streep <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and the whole time she's speaking and singing unlike lynn manuel or dick van dyke you don't you don't have that moment where you're like wow i don't know if this is appropriate for you to be speaking this way you're like whoa she actually sounds kind of uh, whatever polish german whatever she's supposed to be well that that's actually one of the funny jokes that happens is like what accent is that no. it's, like, it's a fun piece that song and choreography is reminiscent of like classical disney films because yeah. it's so surreal but still practical and again i had such a hate on like anytime the kids open their mouth i just i wanted to turn it off but you know it's fine i don't know i actually paused this film pal at about well, i was about to say an like, hour and ten and i walked away for 10 minutes i, I pulled a dave i did two breaks while watching this movie as well <laughs> where it's like this is still going on it's so exhausting <laughs> let me tell you how how uninterested uh, i was where i usually make notes while watching the movie i made a note called mary poppins returns i wrote down zero things i was just like so like i don't <laughs> care <laughs> i just don't care what's I, happening in this I, movie full disclosure Kyle and i are clearly burning out a little bit we're watching <laughs> a lot of movies because it's yeah. not just these but you know we have separate lives too. Mm-hmm. Maybe the mistake is that we shouldn't have come so contemporary because maybe these movies don't have enough of a backstory for us to have an interest outside of the film themselves because fuck man, bad movies from 2018 aren't bad in interesting ways. They're just bad, right? Mm. Like, uh, wait, wait for another six weeks and then we'll see if you change your tune, Dave. <laughs> okay, let's do some backstory here. So this movie opened up on December 19th, 2018. Currently, it is rated at 3.0 on Letterboxd. It's high. It's very high. It is not. I will tell you this. <laughs> Basically, if your movie is under a 3.3 on Letterboxd, it's fucking garbage. People <laughs> people hate it. Just like on IMDb, where it's rated 6.7. If you cannot get a 7.0 on yeah. IMDb, your movie is garbage. somebody liked it. Oh, all right. All right. Keep going. Keep going. Dave, sorry. As a sidebar, I don't think that's true. I have had two separate conversations with people online this week where I almost lost my mind because it's like, yeah, I really did like this movie. I guess a seven out of 10. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> are you going to tell me you didn't like a movie and then give it a seven out of 10? Yeah. Wow. Anyways, that's a side point. This is, you're starting to understand what it's like to be me. Yeah. yeah. On Rotten Tomatoes, though, from 381 critics, this movie has an 80%. That's insane. Well, again, Dave, it's like people. I know, I know. It's like eight out of ten put it over three, but fuck off. But five thousand plus users give it a sixty-four percent. So, like, pretty big disagreement. Um, Available on DVD and sorry, sorry, available on Disney DVD and Disney (laughs) Blu-ray. Gonna get sued. Uh, Available for rent on both YouTube and iTunes, and you can stream this on Disney Plus. The budget for this film was one hundred. And $30 million. What? Dave, that is kind of low for Disney, to be honest with you, for their live action Yeah, but it's stuff. not on the screen. 
I would agree with that. Its box office would be $349 million worldwide, which definitely you would like to call this a failure, but still a little bit less than what Disney was hoping for for this movie. You know, you know what I want to know? The Disney production of Hamilton that was actually shot at a Broadway recording with a, what is mm-hmm. it, like a six camera setup? I want to know what the budget for that was, because that's the budget that should have been applied to this that film. Is, yeah. Fun fact, that movie was supposed to come out in theaters. It was supposed to have a theatrical release, but COVID oh, happened and COVID. that didn't happen. I don't know if it would have done well in the theaters. I don't know. I think it would have made 100 mil. Personally, I honestly think really? it would have, at, at that time, at that time, I think you could have done it. However, For a live Broadway recording, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm on the outside of this opinion. Yeah. I don't really like how it was filmed, but that's me. It, no, it's shit. It's almost unwatchable. Um, and I, I watch a lot it's of- It's like, hard though. It's hard to film I know, stage productions. I've watched a lot of film stage productions and there's some people that do it really, really well. Mm. Uh, and that one, I just didn't think it was done very well, but- um, No, it cuts a lot. It's hard though, you know, especially with- quick moving elaborate dance numbers yes it's like if you ever watch a youtube video of a break break dancing competition particularly a team dance competition mm-hmm. it's fucking infuriating because they will build uh, a tapestry of movement and then they'll suddenly cut to one person in the middle and you're like i i lost it i lost yeah, the entire you lost piece the effect right? yeah yeah just to throw it out there a great film production is the come from away broadway production which you can see on apple tv plus i okay. think it's phenomenal i think it's so good come- Okay, it'll Come text me. Wait, is this something that I would actually want to watch? What kind well, of musical is it? So, okay. <laughs> I love Come From Away. It actually makes me I'll- cry when I watch it. I'll, I'll tell you what the what the plot is. Okay. So on September 11th, oh, 2001. I've this before. Okay, yes. Yeah. In Gander, Newfoundland, they basically grounded yes. a whole bunch of planes. And because yeah. there wasn't enough like hotels and stuff, people in Gander actually put people into their homes. Yeah. And then there was like relationships that started from there and all this other stuff. So it's just a bunch of collaboration. Or sorry, it's a, it's a story about the whole town and how they, they handled that situation. The cool thing is I think they have what, 10 props on stage and everyone is on stage at the same time. So they're constantly changing characters and who they're talking with. And it's done so seamlessly well. So anyways, I just think they do a great film production of that, mm. of that show. Okay. Yeah, you have talked uh, about that. And probably before, so. should have won the Tony Award, but didn't win it that year. Why? Who did it lose to? Who did it Dear lose to? Evan Hansen, but we don't talk uh, about that show. We don't talk about that show. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I watched the movie, but. Uh, it's awful. It, it's yeah, so bad. Got, so bad. Got the hate. Definitely got the hate. Dear Evan Hansen is the best American musical of all time. The plot description for this very film is a few decades after her original visit, Mary Poppins, the magical nanny, returns to help the Banks siblings and Michael's children through a difficult time in their lives. Why? Why this family, Kyle? What what have they done other than being part of the colonial elite, right? Children of bankers. Why do they get... Wait a second. Mary Poppins. Their last name is Banks and they work at a bank? Oh my gosh. (laughs) What about me? Who, why didn't she show up in my childhood and at least give me the gift of imagination? Can't speak Korean, unfortunately. (laughs) Neither can I. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It's now time to play everyone's favorite game. Guess Guess that that tag. tag. This is the time in the show where I don donate handsome blazer, pick up a long microphone that Bob Barker used to use, and we play the game, guess that tag. Dave, you know, when you went to the movie theater, you were just at a movie theater for the first time in 10 years, actually, here this weekend. Like and uh, yeah. Yeah. we watched Although, Joyride no, together for my we, birthday. 
Well, let's put you know, a. It was for your birthday, but let's put the asterisk. That probably was the first movie theater I enjoyed sitting down in in right. probably ten years. Yeah. Right. Yes. Once again, landmark cinemas. <laughs> Thank you. Please open a location in the fucking inner city. Yeah, so that right. will actually be encouraged to go to your we'll, theaters. We'll, more we'll go to that same theater for Dune Two when it comes out. So it's a date. Uh, I'll, I will Dune in that theater. I will Dune <laughs> so Dune hard for sure. Yeah. This week, Dave, of course, I'm probably you're probably like just frothing to see the new Mission Impossible movie, Dead Reckoning, because that's coming out this week. So I so would. people could go and see yeah. that row of posters with a little witticism on it that that invites you to come back and see the movie. I didn't see one at Landmark again. More points, yeah. Landmark. Thank you. Thank you for not inundating more ads. Too many trailers, but that's a whole other. Dave, I give you three options. One of these is the actual tagline to this movie. Two of them completely made up by me. So, is the tagline to Mary Poppins Returns practically perfect? Is it Magic Always Returns? Or is it Trip a Little Light Fantastic? Oh, for fuck's sake. I just remembered that was the name of a song. This kid's getting high on LSD. Why? <laughs> why? why? Why did that happen? One, they're all shit. One, practically perfect. That's one. Yeah, yeah. You would be incorrect. It is actually magic always returns. Okay. Not again. Not to derail this too much. Doing the Sondheim podcast, I do. He actually uses that phrase. uh, Do a little light, fantastic. And when I got to that song, when I made the the episode on on that on that song from A Little Night Music, I was like, wait, that one thing that you had me watch a film comes up a lot. I know it's weird. Um, And I was like, wait. Did he make up this phrase? Like, it can't be. Sometimes it's true that he actually made up a phrase that has now become part of the mm, popular the lexicon. So I'm like, uh-huh. like everything's coming up roses. Like that, no one used that before he wrote it into a song. Anyways, it's not, but it's actually way older than I thought it was. Like it actually does go back to the 1800s. Uh-huh. That phrase, "Triple Little Light, Fantastic." So it's actually period accurate if you want to get into this weird because they were snort, snorting coke or? no it has nothing to do with it it's actually something <laughs> completely different now i can't remember what it was but it's actually not a drug reference which is weird yeah, yeah. No, no anyways this Just movie stars emily blunt as mary poppins ben wishaw as michael banks emily mortimer as jane banks and lin-manuel miranda as jack dave the cinematography for this movie is done by dion Beebe, whose top four are nine from 2009 Mm. Memoirs of a Geisha from 2005. So he likes to work with Rob Marshall. Yeah, yeah. But he also did Collateral from 2004. What? And Edge of Tomorrow from 2014. Interesting. Which I, can I just point out, at least those last two, I think are way better looking movies than this movie. So there's something going on well, here. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Now that you've brought it up, uh, they are because the visual language matches the tone of those films. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although that would mean he worked on a Michael Mann film. And I would have just yes. assumed Michael Mann makes his own cinematography because all his movies no. look the same. But, true enough. True um, enough. But those parts of this movie that are so fucking depressing totally fit in with the type of cinematography you would use in the other two films. That's true. You know, like grit grain washed out things right we're two movies dealing with suffering which is what you want to hire for a kids film now right? i'm all just imagining if they had hired michael mann to make this movie <laughs> it would have been better but no, honestly it would have been really good just like <laughs> gritty like i'm gonna put the camera really far away shake it probably slightly an extra hour <laughs> yeah it would probably be a three-hour film okay so the this is written by david mcgee with a story by david mcgee rob marshall and john deluca based on the books by P.L. Travers, directed 
by Rob Marshall. We've kind of talked about some of this stuff, but if you've seen the movie Saving Mr. Banks, you might have a very skewed impression about P.L. Travers and her relationship with Disney. It took a lot of convincing by Walt himself to get Travers to sign off on the original adaptation. Disney promised her things that he then disregarded, specifically not having any animation show up in the movie. So she hated the original movie, truly despised it, and she thought they ruined her books. Because of the huge success of the film in 1964, Disney, of course, wanted to make a sequel, which Travers responded in a note, and I have the exact quote here, Dave. She said, yes. um, absolutely the fuck not. Oh, yeah. No, she did. She did not. Oh, I'm just making on. that up. It's but uh, <laughs> basically, that's what she said in response. So In, in the most British way possible. Yeah. Fast forward. Dave, to the 1980s. The then chairman, Jeffrey. Yeah, 1980s. The then chairman, Jeffrey Katzenberg. This is pre him trying to make Quibi. Tries to get a sequel off the ground. Travers is still alive at this point and he Mm. approaches her. The idea was to set it a couple of decades after the first film. Mary Poppins, of course, returns to visit the now adult Banks children. Travers did not like that concept. She thought it was stupid. She said she'd be open to a sequel <laughs> She's if, right. if it was set only a year later so that it was still the kids that Mary was interacting with. Mm. She really wanted Julie Andrews to return, though, but she had a list of all these other demands. The most wild one being that she would forbid the character of Mary Poppins from wearing the color red. Oh, Don't know great. why, but that was her demands. That's, that's just her... Uh... Getting some revenge. It's like the whatever yellow Skittles thing that people yeah, are against with their writer. It's just like, we want to see if you're paying attention. Yeah. That production eventually stalls out and doesn't get made. Travers is still undeterred. She really does want a sequel to get made. So she's good friends with this guy named Brian Sibley. Sibley has had an extensive career in writing radio dramas for the BBC. I doubt you have, but Dave, if you have heard the really intricate BBC productions of the Lord of the Rings, or of the Chronicles of Narnia, it was him who actually wrote all of those Mm. for those productions. The only reason I know about those, because apparently Uh. they're really popular in the UK, we would sell them in the bookstore, like the 25 CD set of these BBC productions. Like, it was a big... Oh, you've never heard it, though. I've never sat down and listened to the full thing. No. It's supposed to be good, though. It is supposed to be really good, yeah. Because they have, like, extensive voice casts and, like, sound design. Apparently, it's very, very good. So, Sibley writes a treatment... Travers has minimal notes, and then they both bypass Jeffrey Katzenberg and go directly to Roy E. Disney. <laughs> Power oh. move. So he the says, brother. let's do it. There's only one <laughs> small, tiny problem, mm-hmm. which is they still want Julie Andrews to do it. This is in the mid-80s, and she had temporarily retired from acting. <laughs> Uh, and she wasn't interested in coming out of retirement to play Mary Poppins again. She wouldn't do it anyway. She's too smart. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so the movie gets shelved again. P.L. Travers passes away in 1996. The P.L. Travers estate becomes much more friendly with Disney in the intervening years. Uh, they would then eventually allow they them to make a Broadway, ad- uh, Broadway adaptation of the original film which would go on to do very well both in the London's West End and on Broadway. I think it ran for like six years on Broadway. And it gets performed now like regionally all the time. Even high schools now put it on. Like it's a big thing that can get licensed out and performed. Then coming off of the sex. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. Wow. (laughs) I am a horny for P.L. Travers. No. Then. 
coming off of the success, at least financially, of Into the Woods, the Disney executives approached the creative team of that film, which included Rob Marshall and John DeLuca, to see if they'd be interested in the Mary Poppins sequel. I didn't know that Into the Woods made money. But if I'm a production person... It was made for, I think, $50 million and made like 160 or something at the box office. it didn't even make... It didn't even make money money. It just made no, uh, relational it just, it money. It just tripled its budget. So in in terms of financial financials, like that was a success. This is why movie production, like big production companies suck. Y- mm-hmm. You can't look at the ledger. You need to look at the film. If you watch that film and be like, we need this team to do another movie, yeah. then you're an idiot. Like well, you- I, I'm agreeing with you, Dave, because I, I was so mad after seeing that movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, keep going. Keep going. Sorry. They get uh, Marshall and DeLuca on. They return back to the original uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg idea of focusing it on the adult bank children. I don't know why. I don't literally don't know why they went back to that idea, but they do. Uh, this time, the Travers estate signs off on that idea, and it goes into production in 2015. Casting is what takes the longest time to do, but eventually they settle on Emily Blunt being Mary. They also wanted to include some of the original cast that was still alive. Really, it's only Dick Van Dyke that who agrees to be a part of it. He's the only one who can handle it. <laughs> Probably, yeah. What what does he do? Like what? An afternoon of work? <laughs> he comes in and knocks it out of the park and goes back to his like thirty five year old wife. You're so you're pretty hung up on that. I just think it's. I mean, <laughs> I know that like no, age weird. gap is yeah. in the discourse, and I think it's like focused on way too much. But like he's ninety two with a thirty five year old huh. wife. I mean, it's a bit weird. Although he's pretty sprightly, so maybe sprightly. it works. He yeah, is called maybe. Dick for a reason. So <laughs> that was my joke on the text chain. God damn it. Julie right. Andrews was approached to cameo as the balloon lady at the end of this mm. film, but she declined because she felt that the movie should belong to Emily. That's her exact quote. This belongs to Emily. Hey, she's smart. We've learned this. Yeah. Doesn't want to potentially overshadow that. And she maybe even read the script and was like, no, I'm not going to be in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Cameras that start rolling in February of 2017. They film in the UK, production wraps around five months later in July of 2017, then post-production takes over to add in the digital effects and the animation. I talked about how I thought how cool it was with the 2D animation. For some reason, I just assumed that that was all done by computers still, just to emulate hand-drawn yeah. animation. Not true, I have learned. Oh. That is actually all hand-drawn, real hand-drawn animation oh, with, with pit, pencil and paper. the budget went up. Yeah, yeah, that's a hard skill nowadays. You well, this, this is how hard it was because there isn't a lot of 2D animators left around who no. know how to do it. That's right. They were able to find 70 of them across Disney Animation and Pixar to come on aboard this project wow. because they would they did. They hand-drawed uh, it all in pencil, scanned it into computers, and then, yes, it was inked and like, colored digitally, oh, okay. but the actual okay. animation is all ha- actually hand-drawn, which I think they is pretty cool. They didn't have uh, underpaid, uh, talented women artists hand-painting cells uh, for no. like a dollar an hour. <laughs> yeah, Thank you, exactly. Walt Disney. <laughs> Um, gets the released. unsung heroes. I mean, everything we've ever watched that actually looks very good on celluloid was actually drawn by talented mm-hmm. women and attributed to a single man. All right, right. keep no, going. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it does get released. Does okay for box office, but was slightly under Disney's expectations. Critics are positive to lukewarm on it. Audiences seem to mostly like it. Uh, it would be nominated for four Academy Awards, but would what? not win any. What did it get nominated? If for? I can remember correctly, I did not write this down. I think it was production design, costume design. Score and best original song. I think it's score the and original song. I know there was music in this. All right. Oh come on. Well, there's <laughs> yes. Hum something. Even after you said triple light fantastic, I'm like that was his big song, and I cannot remember how it goes. 
Triple little light fantastic, Dave. Um, okay. Any other things we want to talk about? I like Colin Firth. I do too. I think the way, again, it's a story problem. Him being the wolf and then Dick Van Dyke opening a door and him just walking out is the, one of the dumbest fucking endings. I know. Right? You want it to be better, of a right? plot. It's like awful. It's like, oh, well, you're right. I uh, should never have done this and I'm just going to leave quietly out the side door. I know it's set up that he's still alive. Like the- right. Although he's not playing that the same character fine. from the original, like that's fine. Yeah, but like, that part's fine. but like, yeah. Again, him just opening a door. It's like, uh, I don't know. Have it be that he's visiting or something like that, and he finally comes and walking he, in. You're gonna put in the the two barristers, Higgins and the other guy. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say the guy, the guy from Ted Lasso was there, but but like, develop them as characters. You know, with the the black actor, at least they give him some empathy. But he's not allowed to roll with it. The car, the cart, uh, the character is like two dimensional. He just appears to hold the door. He opens the door. He appears at another door. He opens another door. And you know, you're like, wh- why are they even in this? Who mm-hmm. writes? Who writes this shit? David McGee is who wrote it. <laughs> David McGee. We're done here. Well, the machine said that we have to wrap things up here because there's nothing else to talk about. So let's get into Critics' Choice. This is the part of the show where we discover what the critics thought at the time that the film was released. So I'm reading a positive review from Pamela Hutchinson from Sight and Sound who wrote, Sight and Sound? Director Rob Marshall does a canny job of suggesting, (laughs) if not replicating, the treasure of the original movie. And this new film hardly feels as if it were made in 2018 at all. That's a positive review? (laughs) <laughs> I guess, I guess, which I call kind of bullshit on because um, I could definitely tell this was made in 2018, but that's beside the point. Also, doesn't this just tell us about how we revere things like the sight and sound poll, right? <laughs> but this is a writer for sight and sound yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. who wrote this drivel about this piece of shit film. The quote doesn't even make any sense. Like, is she actually insulting the film there's hints of sarcasm in there well they like go on, why go use the word canny right Kenny's a that's a half tone compliment sorry i don't i don't hear half tones jo- joe morgan stern from the wall street journal i don't know they reviewed movies <laughs> uh i found the sequel deeply sl- slumping can you say it that way deeply deep, yeah i know slumping? dave i i double checked to make sure this is not like a mischaracterization of his review that is exactly what he wrote. This guy from his pr- picture also looks like he's 95 years old. So this must be some weird <laughs> slang from the 20s. Uh, I don't remember this happening in my childhood at all. I found this sequel deeply slumping, not to mention unnecessary, unmagical, and often unfunny. The misuse of talent is what slumped me the most. <laughs> so, I like that you use it twice. So, Jill, Jill, my brother, I agree with you completely, but uh, we gotta, we're going to cut it on the we slump. Have to do, we have to do the Mean Girls quote, which is like, slump. <laughs> Trying to make trying slumping to make slump happen. A word. Uh, yeah, no, he's dead on. He's dead on. I think this movie is better than the original. Dave, does this still hold up, and is it still culturally relevant? No, no, no. I'm a no, no as well. We do need to rate this film, but before we do, that is what Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page. That's letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. All right, so let's get to the rating of this movie. Uh, I forgot to open this up, so I'm going to stall for just a second here. As Dave, you ponder what you were going to rate this movie out so, of five. I was texting Kyle last night while watching this. I was going to give it a one, and he got upset at me. And I thought, I might give it a two. But after this discussion, I'm going to go right in the middle. I'm going to go with a 1.5. 1.5. And I'm hating a little bit. 
But I just realized in our entire conversation, we said there are four good scenes, which we can't even remember the songs that they were singing. Well, okay. So here's the one thing, Dave. Here's the one thing. I get a little bit hair trigger with that when someone has only watched something once and says that there's something unhummable or unmemorable. Okay. And it's only began, again, to use the Sondheim example in 1957. He was haunted by the fact that reviewers said that about West Side Story. These are unhummable unmemorable songs okay and he writes about like what happened five years later when the movie gets made and people go and see it now all of a sudden people can hum these songs and sing these songs so sometimes sure. it does take hearing them multiple now, times for like oh there's the something thing. to this and uh, and this is why i think lin-manuel miranda is a good songwriter like yes. i everywhere you go someone's fucking singing in canto it's fucking yes, insane it's true. right <laughs> And I didn't even particularly like uh, the songs that became famous, uh, but who gives a shit? Because no. they are hummable, right? They are. Although I will uh, say, I will say the, the the ones I like the most are the ones that people don't say. <laughs> it's, it's weird yeah. with that I movie. I like the, anyways, it doesn't matter. You've seen it now more than once. Yeah. Hum something for me, Kyle. I can't, Dave. I'm sorry. Like, the, so, uh, well, sure. no, I couldn't. I couldn't off, the, off my dome. I, I, know, I understand what you're saying in principle, and I would totally agree with you that I'm just being an asshole, but for fuck's sake, Kyle. Uh-huh. It's just unwatchable. Dave, I'm going to give this a 2.5. It's Awful. right in the middle because oh, I think it's more sake. boring than it is bad. Um, <laughs> I'm probably now, once again, going to forget this movie even exists in about five minutes from now. I, I can't wait until like five years later, I'm going to be looking at Letterboxd and for some reason someone will have coerced you into watching this again and you'll be like, I don't know why I gave it a 2.5. He's going down by a full <laughs> star every single time. Yeah. Dave was correct. And this is now a 1.5. All right. That is going to average to a two. Uh, it does not tie with anything. So it's going to go directly into the new number 20 position right above Bohemian Rhapsody Right below Solo, a Star Wars story. That is where it is. Yeah, that's pretty almost. good. That's, yeah, it, that, you know, that feels right for the... You were bumping a little high, and I countered with a bit of a low, and we found a nice sweet spot. That's right. Because that's probably where it's supposed to be. Well, Dave, let's find out what we're watching next week. Please be good. You know, it'd be great, Kyle, if we could watch a film that was watchable and not a derivative piece of shit. Well, it's not going to be next week, Dave. Dave, we are going to watch potentially one of the worst titled movies of all time all right we're gonna watch fantastic beasts the crimes of grindelwald dave can i tell you this i watched the first fantastic beasts movie in theaters this is the sequel this is the sequel i watched the first fantastic beasts movie in the theater and after the credits were rolling i was like i think i'm done i don't think i have to watch any harry potter related (laughs) things ever again and I haven't. So I've never seen this movie. I don't want to see oh, this okay, movie. Okay. I'm going to have such a bad time watching this like two and a half hour long film. This is Eddie Redmayne, right? Yeah. What happened to that guy? He, he was, was good in the be... first couple of things I saw him in. He was like uh, the early 2010s Timothy Chalamet. Dave, how do you mess up basically the pitch that is Indiana Jones, but he's a wizard? How do you mess <laughs> that up? This movie does. <laughs> well, I have a... All right. Anyways, that's what next week is going to be. But um, okay, do you need to put anything into this bag? It has so much room in it. I don't know. Everything's so small now. Here, put your head in. What what happens when you put your head in? Wow. I don't think Walt Disney ever did anything bad. I support every decision he ever made in his life.